It's been great to have some time this morning to honor women and motherhood in its many forms. It's been great to just have some time of prayer and some time of reflection. You know, as I think about, you know, what we do on Mother's Day uh, and what, we do, what we've done this morning and what we, kinda, what we do every year on Mother's Day, both, you know, in church and in our families, there's a, there's a bit of a contrast that starts to jump out at me a little bit where on this day where we think about the value of women who have been maternal figures in our lives or the lives of our children. And that contrast is this. You know, something that I think has been made a little bit, not a little bit, a lot too clear over the last year, year and a half in our world, in our society, in our culture is this. Um, We're not a culture that really does all that well at valuing and respecting women. Um, And, you know, we don't have to look very far to find examples of this. You know, the last year, year and a half, two years, we've seen a lot of scandals come out of Hollywood in terms of the treatment and mistreatment of women, which then kind of grew into the, you may be familiar with the Me Too movement, that began where with women all over the country and all over the world sharing and talking about their own experiences of victimization and mistreatment. And uh, just recently we had the Bill Cosby trial, you know, sort of wrap up. Um, And these and many other stories that we've seen have shown us that the lack of value and respect for the dignity and worth and really, personhood uh, of women is, is far from, you know, what we would call a rare thing in our society. And this lack of value has shown itself in a lot of different ways, in behavior, uh, in words, certainly, in attitudes that have encompassed a, a very broad spectrum of mistreatment and marginalization. And not long after that, not long after these, these stories started to become more mainstream, um, people also began sharing their stories and experiences of mistreatment and marginalization within the church walls as well. And it became clear that as these stories started to come out, that it, this, is not, this was not just something that Hollywood struggles with. And this was not just something that the world outside of the church struggles with, but that women have been devalued and disrespected and, yes, sometimes victimized inside the church walls as well. And this has been some, this is, like I mentioned, this has taken a broad spectrum of forms, sometimes very overt forms and sometimes more subtle forms. But, you know, the reality is sometimes the, what, what has happened, the, the more subtle forms that we don't often recognize feed the more overt forms of mistreatment and victimization. And as I was thinking about the message this morning and I was thinking about some of the, the ways, just the, the subtle things that exist within our culture that begin to devalue and disrespect women and girls, um, I came across this video I want to share with you this morning. Hi, Erin. Hi. 
Okay, so I'm gonna just give you some actions to do. I just do the first thing that comes to mind. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. My hair. Show me what it looks like to fight like a girl. <laughs> now throw like a girl. Aw. My name is Dakota and I'm 10 years old. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. Throw like a girl. Fight like a girl. What does it mean to you when I say run like a girl? It means run fast as you can. That's interesting. You watch those, the, you know, that these girls, act, girls and boys, act out. You know what it looks like. You know when they say "run like a girl," and these older kids make a mockery of it, right? In the way that they're acting it out. But these younger girls, who haven't, I, you know, indoctrinated would be a good word. Haven't been, you know, it's, it's like it means to run as fast as you can, and they and. Um, it means to you know, fight as hard as you can. It means to throw as hard as you can. And something happens. <clears throat> something happens in the lives of those girls between you know, the, the times when they're really young and the times when they get older that all of a sudden running like a girl and throwing like a girl becomes a joke, becomes, some, becomes an insult, becomes a mockery. And... What we're seeing is that, what we're seeing here is indicative of really an overall skewed perspective on the inherent value, dignity, and worth of women as equal image bearers reflecting the greatness and personhood of God to the world. We read the passage from Genesis 1 this morning that talks about the creation of human beings. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. When women are devalued and disrespected within the church, we're communicating a belief that they are somehow lesser reflections of the image of God. And scripture makes it very clear that this is not the case. Now, before we go on uh, this morning, I want to throw out a few caveats for our time here this morning. First, I want to say this. The, the things that we're going to be talking about this morning, I'm not looking to get into sort of the theological debate around specific leadership offices within the church. You know, um, we have, the church has a position paper that's out there around like our theological position around leadership in the church. It's not something that what I'm talking about today is meant to, you know, get into. If you're interested in it, you can check it out. You can go out. You can ask any of the elders questions about it. But, but we're not getting into that because the reality is no matter what your theological position is on church leadership, we are still called to be honoring and, and respecting and valuing women as equal image bearers of God. Second caveat, I'm a man. You may or may not have, have realized that, but as such, <laughs> uh, as such, I have a limited perspective on this issue. 
Um, so, and potentially off in certain areas. Um, but, so my hope isn't necessarily, like, I know that there are aspects of this topic that I really can't have, like, a full understanding or comprehension of. But my hope is that this morning, perhaps, as a result of what we'll talk about, perhaps people will seek out conversations that will allow women to safely and freely share their experiences. Third, this is not just a message for men this morning. You know, and that might, might be an easy thing for us to be thinking through. But, you know, as we think about this topic, when we think about devaluing and disrespecting women, there are times when sometimes some of the biggest critics or harshest critics of women are other women. Um, especially as we think about, like, kind of the varied choices and life choices that women can make, you know, you know whether, whether you have children or whether you don't have children, whether you get married or whether you don't get married, whether you stay home with your children or whether you go to the workforce, you know, whether, you know, where you put your kids in school or, you know, tons of choices that can sometimes bring really harsh scrutiny from other women to other women. So I don't want you to be here this morning and think like, oh, this is just talking to men and how men treat women, even though that is certainly a part of it. And lastly, my last caveat before we keep moving is this. You might be here thinking this morning, as we're going to get into this, you might be thinking, okay, this is all well and good, but I've never mistreated a woman. I've never you know, objectified somebody. I've never uh, victimized or marginalized or disrespected uh, women. I don't really feel like this applies to me. Well, to you, if you're having that thought or you're tempted to have that thought at any point throughout our conversation this morning, I want to say this. It's not enough to merely not disrespect or devalue women. It's not enough to just sort of be innocent of this. As Christ followers... We need to be people who speak and act in opposition to this, both inside and outside the church. Just like we need to be people who speak and act in opposition to really all forms of injustice, both inside and outside the church. It's not enough to just be innocent of something, to not be responsible for something. We still have an obligation to speak against these things. So... Because the reality is, if we're willing to hear people's stories, we likely don't have to go very far to realize that we have fallen short of God's calling in this area. As a, in a, as a church, as a whole. If you look at a passage I want to share with you this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2. This is Paul writing to Timothy, who is the leader uh, of the church in Ephesus. And he writes to Timothy specifically around Timothy and how he should be interacting with the women in his congregation as the leader of this church. And he writes, treat older women as you would your mother. Treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. And as I said, this is written to Timothy, who's the leader of the church. And he's writing to Timothy about an attitude of deference, dignity, value, and respect. No doubt bringing to mind Timothy's relationship with his own mother. Because he's talking about treating women as your own mother. And he writes in this next letter to Timothy, referring specifically to Timothy's mother and grandmother. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he says this, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Timothy 
leader of the church in Ephesus, in large part, owed his faith to the strong faith of women in his life. And Paul is calling that relationship back to mind as he charges Timothy to have the proper respect and value for the women in his own congregation. But the experiences and the stories of many within the walls of many churches tell us that we have fallen short of that. You know, I've had over the last week, I've had conversations and, you know, and interactions with a lot of women in ministry. You know, I'm part of a lot of um, youth ministry groups online and social media. And, and as I was thinking, as I was preparing for this, I wanted to kind of get some feedback into like, what are some of the women in these groups who are in ministry, most, a lot of youth ministry positions, what are their experiences like in this? And I, I got some concerning stories back from people. And these are women in ministry who have been in ministry leadership meetings where they've had to endure jokes or comments about their appearance. Um, or their ideas and their perspectives were not sought after or really just outright dismissed. Uh, and, you know, even in decisions around their areas of ministry. Or women, even women who were held responsible for the inappropriate feelings of men around them when they had done nothing more than just sort of be friendly and personable. I couldn't imagine having to subject, my, like, subject myself to the scrutiny that these women have to on a daily basis, evaluating every possible interaction that I might have as to whether or not somebody might consider it uh, perceived inappropriately. You know, I never give a thought to whether I'm being too friendly to somebody or whether I'm la- I laughed too hard at somebody's joke. Or something like that. Like, that's never even occurred to me. But these are sort of consistent thoughts that some of these women are having that they have to sort of scrutinize themselves so that that nobody will perceive them in any way as being inappropriate. Recently, uh, you may uh, be familiar with a woman named Beth Moore. Um, she is a teacher, an author, a speaker. Um, our women's ministry here uh, uses a lot of her resources here for um, their Bible study. Um, recently, on her blog, she posted a letter um, outlining kind of like what it's been like for her. As, and she's a woman who is actually specifically, you know, her mission, she communicates, is specifically to teach and disciple other women. And she wrote, posted on you know, what it's been like for her as her experience being a woman in ministry. Um, and I want to share some excerpts from that letter from you here this morning. Um, sorry, I thought that would be a lot bigger. And it's, I'm going to have a hard time. I'm going to read it up here. <laughs> as a woman leader in the conservative evangelical world, I learned early to show constant pronounced deference. Not just proper respect, which I was glad to show to male leaders, and when placed in situations to serve alongside them, to do so apologetically. I issued disclaimers ad nauseum. I wore flats instead of heels when I knew I'd be serving alongside of men uh, of a man of shorter stature, so I wouldn't be taller than he. I've ridden elevators in hotels packed with fellow leaders who were serving at the same event and not been spoken to, and even more awkwardly in the same vehicles where I was never acknowledged. I've been in team meetings where I was either ignored or made fun of, the latter of which I was expected to understand was all in good fun. I'm a laugher. I can take jokes and make jokes. I know good fun when I'm having it, and I also know when I'm being dismissed or ridiculed. Again, I read that and I think, man, I've never worried about whether or not not I'm going to be taller 
than somebody else that maybe I'm sharing a stage with. Also not a problem I typically have. But, um, but still, you know, the level of scrutiny there is just something that's so foreign to me. But the part of her letter that, was, that really just made me cringe came a little bit later. And I don't know if you've read this or not, but you may, be familiar, you may have read this already. But the part that was cringeworthy was this for me, where she says this. About a year ago, I had an opportunity to meet a theologian I'd respected. I'd long respected. I'd read virtually every book he'd written. I'd looked so forward to getting to share a meal with him and talk theology. The instant I met him, he looked me up and down, smiled approvingly, and said, you're better looking than blank. You know, and he filled in the blank with the name of another female, popular female speaker. And you know... Part of me just wants to say, I read that and I just say, come on, man. Like, you've got to know that's not okay. But it just left me feeling, as I read that line, really just icky. That's a theological term, icky. But it just left me feeling just bad. And really wondering who she might be talking about because that's somebody that I would like to not purchase uh, their books or materials. But it also got me wondering, do the women that I know, the women in my circles, the women that I um, have experiences with, do they have experiences like these? And I mentioned that I was interacting with some of the women in, in some of the ministry groups I'm a part of, and I put a, like, basically put a poll question out there to them, asking them, uh, and I asked them a simple question. I said, have you, ever, uh, have you ever felt like your opinion or perspective on a church-related issue was less important specifically because of your gender? Over 75% of them came back telling me yes. That yes, they felt that they're not ministry position, not you know whether or not they get to be a pastor, an elder, or anything like that, but just their perspective was less important because of their gender. So I actually wanted to put that question to you this morning because I wanted to find out what is the perspective of even women here within grace, because I was curious about it. So if you're a woman here this morning, I'd like you, if you have a smartphone or a device with you, this woman or a girl, um, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are, if you have a smart device with you this morning, open it up, open your browser, and go to this URL. Or you can even scan that little QR code that's up on the, uh, the screen here this morning. Um, and I'm going to ask you a question. And nobody's going to know, you know, what you said. Uh, so it's all anonymous, so you don't have to worry about that. I'm going to give you a minute or you know, a few seconds to get that, get that open there. Um, and you should be coming to a place where it says your presenter will start a poll or something like that soon once you get there. I'm going to take, give you like a few seconds to get that open. And I'm just going to throw that same question out there to you. Is this. Women, have you ever felt that your opinion or perspective was considered less important in a church setting because of your gender? We see these numbers come in. Uh, yeah, one second. Let me go back to there. Put that back up for you. There you go. If you need the, the URL, it's right there. And then I'll go back to the screen with the results. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to go back to the results page. Hopefully everybody's got that. Have a look at where we're at right now. I mean, not too far off from where we were 
with the with the you know my sort of impromptu poll of ministry leaders. 60, about 67% of women here within our own congregation communicating that they have felt that at some point their perspective, their opinion has been considered less valuable, less important simply because of their gender. Now, we can look at these numbers and we can come up with reasons why people shouldn't feel that way. You know, we could try to make arguments about, you know, oh, well, you know, th this is why people shouldn't feel that they're, you know, oh, of course their opinion is valuable. We can come up with those arguments. I don't think that would be all that helpful or productive. Because the other option, what we couldn't, can do, is start to ask ourselves some difficult questions about this. Like, what is it about the culture of the church and this isn't just specifically a Grace Community Church issue, but the culture of the church in general, bringing up this feeling for many women within our church community. Because it seems clear that valuing, respecting women as equal reflections of the image of God is an issue that we as the church need to continue to wrestle with. And it begins with having an accurate view of how Scripture speaks about women. And we've already spoken this morning about the fact that Scripture begins with the creation of men and women as equal image bearers of God. And as we examine Scripture, we see several other realities communicated from the perspective of the Bible. The first is that Scripture consistently elevates women above societal expectations of the time in both the Old and the New Testaments. And from, we don't have time to delve deep into a lot of these stories this morning, but I do want to throw just a few examples at you. You know, first, you know, if we look at the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth. If you know the story of Ruth, Ruth was a, a, a woman from Moab, and she was married to a, a Jewish man, and um, her husband dies, her father-in-law dies, her sister-in-law's husband dies, and it's just her and her sister-in-law and her mother-in-law, and they're sort of left to themselves. And her sister-in-law goes back to her home, and is left now it's just Ruth and her mother-in-law. And the expectation of the time was Ruth would have been Ruth. She's young. She doesn't have any children. She should go back home and get married again. She should just go back home and basically, you know, to her father's house. And that's, that's the societal expectation of her. But the reality is she commits herself to her mother-in-law and becomes the sole source of support for her and her mother-in-law, which ultimately leads to the restoration of her family. And then we look at Esther, you know, who is a queen. Um, but the expectation of her in her role, even as queen, would have been to be silent and to be subservient, to come when called. Um, but when faced with the potential annihilation of her people, she takes her life and she risks her life to approach the king and um, intercede for the salvation of her people. You know, and if, like, again, these stories, if, you know, we don't have time to get into them this morning, but I strongly suggest go into the Bible, read about these women uh, in Scripture, and see the important role that women are playing throughout Scripture. Then Deborah, who um, the expectation of a woman living in, you know, what would have been a paternalistic culture at the time would be, be subservient, you know, be, you know, be quiet, you know, stay, but she uh, becomes 
a judge and a prophet becomes the leader of her people, leads her people into battle, and ultimately ushers in a period of 40 years of peace for the people of Israel. Again, Deborah. And then we move into the New Testament. We see Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who took the position of a disciple of Jesus, which at the time, and we're going to look at this a little bit more closely in just a second, at the time would have been incredibly controversial. For what we read about, you know, the, the passage we're going to look at about Mary, and we read it, it doesn't really hit us um, all that all that much as we read it in our 21st century sort of American lifestyle. But this would have been incredibly controversial for Mary to be a disciple. Uh, of Jesus. You know, the expectation would have been leave the religious education to the men and you, you know, you know, stay home, worry about the household, worry about all that stuff. But she sits at the feet of the master and seeks to become a disciple. And this Mary also points us to the next reality of women in scripture, which is this, that women are often held up by Jesus as an example. Have a look at Luke chapter 10. And this is the passage we were just alluding to um, with Mary. Um, As Jesus and the disciples, this is Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha... You are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha's saying, basically saying, tell Mary to do what a woman should be doing in this scenario. Tell Mary to get in here with the kitchen, in the kitchen with me and help me serve this meal. And Jesus says, no, 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 Martha. Mary is the example here. Mary is choosing what's most. Mary is choosing to be a disciple. And that's the most important. And I'm not going to take that away from her. Holds Mary, doesn't challenge Mary, doesn't rebuke Mary, holds Mary up as the example of what she should be doing in that scenario. And not only does Jesus point to women as examples, he also points to women as examples specifically for other men. As we look in Luke 7, Jesus, the pastor we're going to look at in a second, Jesus is dining at the home of a Pharisee. When a woman with a less than stellar reputation comes in and begins pouring perfume on his feet and kissing his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And they judge him for this. They say, doesn't he know who this woman is that's touching him? Doesn't, you know, what kind of rabbi is he? Doesn't he know, if he knew who this woman was, there's no way he'd be letting her do this. But have a look at Luke chapter 7, verses 44 through 47. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so so she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Jesus points to this woman and says to a Pharisee who is like the religious leader of the day, like the religious elite, the person that would have been looked up to in society and says, basically, you need to be more like her. Jesus takes this woman and says, who is a woman, not a great reputation, a woman and says, this is the example that you 
need to follow. She recognizes that she is a sinner. You don't. You need to have, have the attitude more like this woman. Because if you knew that you're standing with me, you'd be on the floor <laughs> kissing my feet and wiping my feet with your, te- with, your, with your tears and your hair. You need, Jesus points to the religious leader and says, you need to be more like this woman. Thirdly, women are also the first people entrusted with proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. You're probably familiar with the story. The women come to the tomb and find it empty. And the angel tells them that Jesus is risen just like he said he would. And then Luke chapter 24 says this. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. And I've got, you got to love this response. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. <laughs> like, seriously. You know, not only are they entrusted uh, with the news of the resurrection and proclaiming the news, the men don't believe them. In light of this, in light of, um, you know, the w- women being the first proclaimers of the resurrection, it's also fitting that women were also a large part of the growth of the early church. And that's highlighted through scripture. And Paul, have a look at how Paul highlights God's use of godly women to spread the gospel message in the early church. First, in uh, Romans, and again, just a few examples. Romans, Romans chapter 6, verse 3, he talks about Priscilla, who says, you know, talks about her risking her life for Paul. And she's called a co-worker in the ministry with Paul. And then uh, Phoebe, who is a deacon, in the church of Centria, and is described as worthy of honor among God's people in Romans 16, verse 1. And last example, just real quick, is this Junia, who was in prison with Paul. And Paul describes her as highly respected among the apostles. And some interpretations of that actually have, are, believe that she may have been considered an apostle herself. But either way, she was highly respected among the apostles. So, as we look at what scripture says about women, scripture elevates women consistently above what society's expectations would have been at the time. Jesus himself points to the example of women and has women as his disciples. Women are the first witnesses and proclaimers of the resurrection. And the role of women is highlighted in the growth of the early church. In light of these scriptural realities, we need to make, think about what are some thoughtful commitments around this, around what it means to be a community that understands that men and women are equal reflections of the image of God. What does it look like to be a community where it's evident to people both inside and outside of our community that we are a community that understands that we are an equal image bearer community. And there's a couple of things that I want to leave you with as we, as we think about this this morning. Something for you to be thinking about and thinking about what, how this might flush out. The first is this. In light of how scripture decides, uh, describes the role of women, it's vital that as a church... We have intentional avenues to pursue and incorporate the wisdom and perspectives of women in the life 
ministries and issues of the church community. You know, what does that look like? I don't know. Um, but it's something that it's not enough just to say, you know, just to, just to say this is something that we want. It's something that needs to be an intentional pursuit of, us, uh, of ourselves as a church community. Secondly, we also need to recognize that as a church, both a local church and as the church as a whole, we get it wrong sometimes. And sometimes we get it very wrong. Which means that we need to be committed to be an environment of safety and support. For women who have experienced victimization, marginalization, mistreatment within the confines of the church community. And we need to be a church that's committed to be a church where, like a girl, doesn't have a connotation of insult or inferiority, but like a girl, has a connotation of a worthy reflection of the image of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for the women that are amongst us here. Uh, the moms, the daughters, the sisters, um, and the work you do in them and through them in the life of our church, the life of our community, um, the varied interests and passions and abilities and desires that they all have. And God, I pray that we would honor those. And I pray that we would seek to encourage all the women amongst us to use all of their, those varied things for your glory. And God, that we wouldn't be hindrances, we wouldn't hold them back, we certainly wouldn't be disrespectful or, or devaluing. And God, convict us when we do those things, whether overtly or subtly, God, and we help us to seek your forgiveness and their forgiveness when that happens. And we thank you that even through the messiness of difficult issues like this, God, you are at work, you are present with us, and you tie us and knit us together as a church community. Be glorified throughout the rest of our worship time and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.